everyone. Welcome to the Internet of Things podcast. I am your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and here is my co-host, Kevin Tofel. And today we are going to talk about a lot of things, including our Smart Things review part one. Um, we're going to talk about creating a checklist for your smart home when you move and Verizon and its new moves for, I don't know, building a business on the Internet of Things. Hmm. You're like, yeah, that sounds great. Oh, good luck with that. Hey, they've already made almost half a billion dollars so far this year. That's pretty impressive, I would say, because they really haven't made big leaps into the space yet. So that's good. Yes, but they decided it was not good enough. So we'll tell mm. you more about what they're going to do. But first, I know you guys are eager to hear about my experience with smart things, which I am sad to say so far has not been awesome. Wah, wah. Yeah. Sad uh, trombone. Sad trombone. See, this this is already concerning to me, and I don't have the details yet, because as I've said on the show in the past, if Wink kind of goes away, my number one hub and system goes away, and smart things is going to be my backup plan. Well, prepare to, to tinker, mm. I believe, as one of the reviewers said. So here's the deal. Smart Things had sent me a review unit early on in October. I was in Harry Potter world at Universal Studios, hugging minions and having a jolly good time, which by the way, hmm. they have these awesome wands at Harry Potter world mm -hmm. and they use a proprietary technology. It looks like it's just infrared, but I think they would make so much bank if you know, you buy these wands and they mm -hmm. had something like NFC or Zigbee or Bluetooth or anything in them. Mm -hmm. And when you got home, you could like point them at a thing in your house and you could say something like Wingardium Leviosa and your blinds would raise up. Mm, now that's, that's interesting. Of course they went proprietary, you know, because it's Hogwarts magic. So, you know, they're not going to use something standard, um, but that would be cool. Kind of um, pointing at the device you want to control and then leveraging what I call the invisible interface of voice. Exactly. Well, hmm. or... Or we, should, even, we should wait a second. We should we should build a business around this. Hang on a second. See, we'd have to pay J.K. Rowling quite a bit of money, I'm sure. But I I think how magical would that be? This is my business plan that that unfortunately involves paying licensing fees to somebody. But it would, it would get rid of all those silly wake words we have for every all these devices, you know. Exactly. You could do your whole home in like Harry Potter, or if you're you know into like The Hobbit or something like that. Ooh, you could, you're precious. You could be like Gandalf. I don't know. What does he have? Like actual magic words, or would I have to learn Elvish? Well, no, he doesn't have his own. They are they're typically Elvish. Yes. How scary is it that I know this? Okay, now, <laughs> now that we have totally outed ourselves, is crazy, crazy. Yeah. Words. Yeah. Hang on. Um, let me put my uh, Middle Earth map aside. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Moving right along. So, it's interactive. <laughs> Sorry. Back to smart things. All right. What I experienced, so so having had this, I, I started out trying to get devices online. And this took me a long time because every time I encountered a snag, being somewhat ADD, I would just say, oh, well, while I wait for this to connect, I'll go play with this other device. So, What, de what devices did they include, by the way? So SmartThings sent me the version 2 hub and what they called their monitoring kit. The monitoring kit contained... Two open close sensors, two of the new smaller open close sensors, a motion detector, and an outlet. They also sent me a siren, a water sensor, and a Samsung IP camera. Hmm. 
Okay. And those are not cheap, those those those, IP cameras. Those are not cheap. And they also sent me a roll of really sticky double-sided 3M tape, Mm -hmm. which was very kind. So that was the entire package that I got. I don't know the retail value of all of the stuff. The Mm -hmm. home monitoring kit, which contained the four sensors and the connected home hub, was, I believe, $249. Right, right. And, and all of these products that they sent you for review are available to purchase and are shipping to consumers now? They are all available and shipping to okay. consumers now. One more quick question. Home kit or no home kit support? No home kit support. Okay, just clarifying. Okay. Smart Things, the hub supports Zigbee, Z-Wave, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi. So those are those are your radios. Okay. A wonderful, wonderful option. And I've had version one of this in my home for like two and a half years, and I love it. It's it's great. All right. How's version two? Version two needs some love. Mm. So when I connect, so the connection, I also did a completely fresh refresh, like a fresh connection. I did not try to upgrade from version one to version two. Okay. Upon their advice, they said, don't do that. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty messy. And, and, that, and that's actually fair because I don't think most people buying this have already smart things hub and all the other fun stuff. Okay, so that's and if if you have it and you want to do a version one to two refresh, let me know how that goes for you. Um, <laughs> Good luck with that. No, I, I'm very curious. Mm-hmm. So my so I made a brand new account, and the setup itself very easy of the hub. So I set up the hub, I had my account, all was well, and then I started adding sensors. And it was very quick. It was like, hey, do you want us to find sensors? You clicked yes, or I think you clicked next. Mm -hmm. And then it started looking for sensors. At that point, it found two of the four sensors for me. It found the motion sensor and one of the open-close sensors. And then it kept looking. And about five minutes into that process, I kind of got bored and started doing some other stuff. Hmm. What did it not find? It did not find one of the open-close sensors, Mm -hmm. and it did not find the outlet So that's kind of where things stood for a while. I also added the camera. To add the camera, you actually set up the camera on its own. Mm -hmm. And then you added that like you would any kind of normal secondary device. So SmartThings, the benefit of SmartThings is that it's very open and it supports hundreds of outside devices. So to add the camera, you would just find it as a supported device and you went into like their security section mm-hmm. and said there's a section for cameras and it's since it's supported their like Samsung smart cam. And, and that again makes sense to me as well because the setup process would require getting the camera and IP address on your network and make, you know, getting that connectivity going and then it would be able to actually use the camera. So that, that that's fine. Yes. And this is the first version two is the first smart things hub that supports cameras, hmm. which is why it's different and special. Mm-hmm. Now, I have trouble with the camera, and I don't know if it's SmartThings or if it's Samsung or what the what the holdup is. Now, Samsung does own SmartThings, so I kind of find it surprising. You have to enter, like many things that you authenticate when you're trying to connect two separate devices, you have to authenticate it with a password. Mm-hmm. For some reason, my password just wasn't accepted. So I did a hard reset of the camera twice to try to make sure that I was giving it the yeah. right password. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was, and it just wasn't working. So hmm. that was frustrating. 
that was one of the frustration points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still haven't yet seen the camera inside smart things. I've seen the camera outside smart things and it's a lovely camera. Um, I guess what you just go to the IP address of the camera in a web browser or there, there's an app. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't get so fancy as to go to an IP address. I just mm-hmm. went to the app on my phone. And, and typically only cause I have a couple IP webcams, not they're uh, FOSS cams, they're old. When I look through the browser, it's the same thing. You still have to sign in to authenticate, mm-hmm. which which makes sense from a security standpoint. But yes, you you don't want your house, your home camera, you know, no. on the internet for everyone to see. Sometimes I do. Sometimes the cats and dogs really sometimes put on quite a show. But you're right; most people don't. Well, mine faces my backyard, mm. so this is this is my use case that I was trying to monitor. the The goal of setting this up was again, my dog is escaping. She's very, very good at that. Um, so I set up my motion detector by the dog door. So mm-hmm. when she walks out the dog door, it would trigger the camera to start recording. And since it's facing the backyard, I'm trying to figure out which hole in the vent she's getting through this time. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to plug it. So that's that's my goal. I haven't achieved it yet, but that's... <laughs> but, but there's hope. <laughs> Once this camera's on, we're going to get there. Um, so I can. I lift. bet the dog's figured it out and changes the password on you, but that's just me. That she's very smart. I know. So that that was first issue. So when I came back to it, a couple like I, I took a week off basically for messing with this and played mm-hmm. with other things. But when I came back to it, I was like, "All right, let's try again to add these sensors." So this time, instead of doing the kind of generic, just find whatever's available, I went to add them individually. Mm-hmm. That also did not work. So hmm. the outlet that came with it is a Zigbee outlet. So I moved it closer to the hub, hoping that would help. How close? Curious. I moved it within five feet of the hub. Yep. The Certainly hub. should connect. Yep. So it should connect. And I pressed the little button. So the light is blinking. Everything is good. It didn't connect. Hmm. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Smart and things. The, and just to clarify, this is not a third party generic Zigbee switch. This is an actual Samsung smart things. Right. This yeah. is a smart things. This came with the mm. hub. The open close sensor that did not connect. I don't know how to force it to connect. I, I took out the battery to try to force a new connection. It so mm-hmm. far has not connected. Okay. So we're going to, I don't, that may just be a, a dead sensor. I don't okay. know. I also tried to connect a couple of my devices and that didn't work. I tried to connect those to the Wink Hub to make sure that those devices were not at fault. And mm-hmm. they connected to the Wink Hub. And then I disconnected them from the Wink Hub because you can't have things connecting on multiple networks. Right. And then tried again to connect them to smart things, and they still weren't recognized. Mm. Those those were Z-Wave devices. Okay. What about the open-closed sensor that is seen by the hub? And the open-closed sensor that is seen by the hub is always open. Even though right now it is technically supposed to be closed. So So what's working? <laughs> so I have a working motion sensor. Yeah. I have also added my hue lights and they work. Good. And they are controllable and they're very lovely. Nice. My Sonos's also were seen. That's a they, smart things has a labs feature, which means it's kind of we we hack this together and it sort of works, mm. but if it doesn't work, don't blame us. So that works. I added my Ecobee, but it's not showing up, but it technically is supported, so I'm not sure what's going on there. And so right now, yeah. I, I feel that this is not 
a great experience. Smart Things is not so smart right now. But hmm. I have a hopes. I have hopes that I either have a really bad hub and that I will mm-hmm. replace the hub and it will work. Or I, I got like a, a sensor that went through like an EMP on the way to my house. Um, I don't know. But we'll figure it out. Because in the past, Smart Things has been amazing. Mm-hmm. The software update, I've used it actually with my older Smart Things gear because the software update came out prior to me getting the hub and I had upgraded it with my new stuff mm-hmm. or with my old stuff. And it was it was great. Let me ask you a question then. The old hub that you have, everything's been working well, you got it upgraded. Do these new devices or should these new devices work with the old hub? I don't know because I didn't want to mess with yeah. Yeah. that. But theoretically, I'm thinking they should. Theoretically, they should because the old hub still supports those radios. Yeah. So I'd be curious, and I know it's time consuming for you, but I'd be curious if these sensors that are not connected to the new hub actually do connect to the old hub that's been software upgraded. I will try that after I... Yay, Kevin gives Stacy homework. (laughs) After I get through this, I've been trying to avoid the smart things support beyond basic stuff because I don't want to get special like. Right. Yeah. We run into this all the time as reviewers. You know, once the company finds that you're having problems, they attach a special team to get you fixed up as quickly as possible. But consumers don't have that. So I try and do exactly what you're doing. Go through the standard support process and, and so on. I mean, maybe on their help forums, we're kind of a little more anonymous. You, you, their help forums are good and they have mm-hmm. online chat in, in smart things actually has great support. Like normal people mm-hmm. on smart things will get people to like, people will call you as a normal person. Yeah. If you're having a lot of trouble, they, they actually will get someone to call you and walk you through things. So it's mm-hmm. not, it's not like wink that has a, a support line that you can call, right. but after you've gone through like a support forum or you're on chat and everyone's scratching their heads, they're like, okay, we're calling you. We're yeah. going to figure this out. That's good. So it's it's not too crazy, but I'm kind of to the point where like I really have done a lot of things. <laughs> well, and, and you have more patience than most because this is, you know, this is what we do. And and for standard everyday mainstream consumers, if they had gone through what you've gone through right now, I think they probably would return the device at this point. I think a normal consumer probably would have returned the device after the sensors were not found. Mhm. Like in the beginning which is when I stopped and started adding other devices of mine and started like, sure. I thought I had actually broken some things on my own. Yeah. <laughs> As you said, it could be just a bad hub. It could be something that's a one-off hardware issue. But to me, as somebody who's considering the purchase of this, because I am, as, as I said, I mean, if Wink goes away, this is my, my next best choice for me. I'm not pulling out the wallet just yet. Well, you don't have to, because I have a spare hub waiting here for you. Oh, that's even better. Good news. So, yes, if it is, if it does turn out, I haven't pulled out the spare hub yet, because mm-hmm. I really thought that, well, I also think there are some sensor issues here, so I'm it could trying. Be. Could be, but swap that hub out um, before that, you do anything else, because it could be that. That is the next step. Good, so, good, good. Next week, maybe <laughs> I'll be like, guys, it was the EMP at the post office. Mm. So... 
So now we'll, we'll figure this out and maybe next week I'll be singing the praises and you guys should all rush out and buy one, but not the one that I bought. One other thought or question here. I have not, I was, I was traveling yesterday and, and busy on Monday. I have not read other reviews of this new product and I'm assuming there are some out there and I'm curious if other people have praised this or have had similar problems. So the reviews are really mixed and the professional reviews have really said that the hardware is good. The software is iffy, which is kind of, mm. that's been my previous experience with this. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, that's what I kind of expected. The Amazon customer reviews have said that getting this online has actually been tough. And then there's the typical five stars that are like great product. Um, <laughs> so the reviews are a little all over the place, quite honestly. Um, right. There have been some reviews that have echoed the challenge of getting it online and working. And some of them have been kind of like prepared to tinker. So I don't, I don't really know what to say about that. I, other than this, my experience may not be that unusual. And that right. seems to be kind of ominous in all mm -hmm. honesty. So that's, that's where I, I try not to read reviews too much before I go into a review. Same here. Yep. Just because, yeah. But once I'm, once I start experiencing trouble, then I'm like, okay, is this just me or what, what's happening? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's that. Stay tuned next week. Hopefully we'll have a new hub maybe, or maybe I'll have fixed all of this. And I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's the foil I've wrapped my hub in. I would say anybody who is thinking about buying this, you may want to wait till next week's show. Or just an update or so. I don't know. Definitely yeah. wait till next week's show. Okay. So enough time on that. Let's talk about... Uh, CIO Magazine covered this, and I'm glad they did because we've covered this before, but I had no idea that this existed. But the OTA, the Online Trust Alliance, put out a checklist of things you should do if you have smart devices in your home and you're about to move. Mm. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's it's pretty cool, right? We yeah. yeah, this this is a pretty comprehensive list. And honestly, when I had my house for sale last year, I kept on my to-do list, make a list of all the things you need to pull out of the house or uh, reset passwords for and so on. Because with all these gadgets and things hooked up into the home that somebody is buying, you can't leave them high and dry where they have all these smart switches and they're, they're not working because they don't have access. You certainly don't want your old data available to the, to the new buyer. There, there's a ton of stuff. And I didn't really realize it until I saw this OTA checklist. Yeah. So some things on here, like, again, we'll, we'll give you the complete list, but things like modems, gateways, hubs, like in some of this, you've got to think like, are you going to pull out your nest, right? Mm -hmm. Are you going to pull out your connected garage door opener? So you got to think about both passwords, but then also resetting that and making sure they can't get to the data. Mm -hmm. um, those are probably the big things, right? Connected switches. Mm, which I have, I mean, they're hardwired in. Yeah. So same here, like all my Lutron switches, I'm like, do I, do you give them like the Lutron bridge? Do you tell them, Hey, if you want to control these from the internet, I mean, the nice thing about my switches and probably yours are they still work as switches, even if you don't have Correct. a hub. Correct. So yeah, they, they work like normal switches. And I guess technically anything that's part of the home when you're actually selling the home should go to the buyer unless you work out something. So I, I guess what we will do, because we will still be moving, it's just we have to wait now for the kids to finish up high school. You know, I think what we'll do is we'll just negotiate it and say, do you want these? If so, we'll leave them in and we'll make sure that you have passwords and all that. As a buyer, I guess I'd be concerned though, gee, are these people going to still have access to the things after they're gone? I mean, 
you know, it's, it's probably a conversation that actually needs to be had. In a way, it's kind of like, I don't know about you, but like I have a, I have a list like in case I die with all of my, not just social media, but email, credit cards, all those passwords that are there for my husband. You kind of have to create something like that for your house with. Yeah. It, what a happy thought. I know. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, morbidity aside, you're absolutely right. I mean, otherwise, you know, it's like you're gone and then the family's like, I don't know how to turn these lights on anymore. And I mean, seriously, that's, that's kind of crazy. And you have to remember, like, what are these light bulbs? Who? Right. Like the last item in here is like disable connectivity for devices no longer supported by the manufacturer or replace them. I'm like, holy crap. Because in 10 years, am I going to still remember who made my LEDs that are now like halfway through their life cycle? Mm -hmm. Nope. So this we'll leave in here. It's a great topic of conversation for you. A great kind of thing where you're like, oh, in the middle of moving, now I'm going to have to think about like having a conversation and remembering all the passwords associated with all of my connected devices, some of which I may not even remember are connected. Yay. All right. And now we should get to Verizon. Yeah. What are they doing? So Verizon on Wednesday is set to announce because today is Wednesday is set to announce a kind of effort to oomph, oomph up. No, that is not a word. That is Boost. not a word. Boost. We'll say boost. It's Internet of Things kind of revenue generation by creating what it calls tool sets. So what it's doing is kind of threefold. It is launching a cloud platform called ThingSpace. It'll compete with Amazon's Internet of Things cloud, IBM's Internet of Things cloud, <laughs> and all these other Internet of Things clouds that are out there. You might be familiar with many of them. Too many clouds. Too many clouds. Um, and it's going to have, like, it's basically a place where developers can point their their things at and send data and then build apps against it. That's pretty like normal, right? Everyone knows about that. But mm -hmm. the cool thing that's pretty specific to Verizon is that it's partnered with Sequence, Sequence, the modem maker. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to offer modems, LTE modems for basically half the price of an LTE modem. So about 15 bucks per modem, which is really high, but it's not as high as it could be. And that's that's important because... Cellular modems are expensive, much more expensive than Wi-Fi and Bluetooth modems. And that really adds to the cost of any sort of device that you really want to build that can go anywhere and be always on. And it's one of the reasons why we don't get a lot of trackers that doesn't depend on, you know, your phone. And in addition, they're also going to be doing kind of different profiles and data plans for quote unquote things. Verizon did not get specific about the type of data plans that it's going to offer, unfortunately. But it is willing to negotiate, which is kind of an unusual stance for it, because prior to this, it wasn't. <laughs> hmm. So if you're planning on making a connected pet tracker, please, please, because again, my dog, she's going to escape at some point in time. And I would love to be able to follow her beyond the Wi-Fi network, because right now, I cannot. And a cellular modem on her collar would be great for that. And I could pay maybe a slightly different subscription fee. All right. Well, wait, hold the phone for a second. Because I was joking about this two weeks ago on Twitter, but it actually exists. There is a cellular collar for pets. They actually showed a video of it with cats, but it's literally a phone. It's GPS and a speaker and microphone. And it's on the collar of the animal. 
and you can track where they go and then you can speak to them and you can hear what they hear. Oh, is it the meow meow thing? I don't recall. I was laughing so hard when I saw the cat video of a cat being told. Is it like a- that French video? And it, the woman's like, where are you, cat? Yes, that's yes, exactly I, what it is. Oh, I did see so, that. I wish so I could that, remember. That does exist. And uh, that might, I don't know if your dog listens when you, you know, tell it to stay or come inside. But, no. oh, well, that's not going to help you. Either. No, but, you know, at least I could see her. She, she'll come back eventually. It, <laughs> it's, it's more just like, I, I want to know that. She's not being eaten by coyotes, basically. That's, yeah, that's not something you want to hear on a cell phone. Oh, God, no, that'd be terrible. Oh, my gosh. This, anyway. This, this is a sad show. <laughs> well, I'm like, this is a yeah, total downer of a show. Don't um, forget your digital will, you know, when you pass away for your family. Don't forget to listen to your dog being eaten over the phone. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, on that note, let's, let's just go straight to the guest because I really Hopefully can't. it's a happy guest. It is. We're, we're talking about saving energy in commercial buildings. Um, our, our guest is the CEO of Enlighted. His name is Joe Costello. He has actually two cool things that he's going to talk about. One is saving energy in commercial spaces with both lighting and HVAC. And then he's talking about actually doing A-B testing in the real world on um, space and like the number of people in an office space and hmm. I actually enjoyed it, but I'm kind of a big nerd, as we've discovered from the beginning of this show. So I wish I could say goodbye to you in Elvish. Can you say goodbye in Elvish, Kevin? Uh, I I could, but I won't do it publicly. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So there we go. We will not say goodbye in Elvish or Klingon or any of the other languages that that we don't know. But, you know, you you could say it in your head if you know it. So instead, we'll go with au revoir and stay tuned for Joe Costello, the CEO of Enlighted. Today's guest, I have Joe Costello, who is president and CEO of Enlighted. Hi, Joe. How are you doing today? Fantastic, Stacey. Thanks for inviting us. I am super excited to have you. We have talked a bunch of times about Enlighted, and this is a company, you guys, that makes it makes LEDs for corporate space. So. I was going to say enterprise space, but that is not really a thing. So you make it for commercial buildings and you don't just jam lights up there. You also jam all kinds of sensors up there. So Joe, you want to tell us a little bit more about Enlighted and what you can do with that? Yeah. Yes. Actually, I would say we're perfect for your show. We're internet of things for commercial real estate is the best way to describe it. And we put a sensor network into the ceiling of the building That's what brings that building into the Internet of Things. And, in fact, we attach one sensor module to every light fixture, almost every light fixture. And the light fixture gives the little sensor module power. And it's also great for position because if you have one at every light fixture, it almost guarantees you see every square inch of the building since you have to light every square inch of the building. And uh, so we get the power and the place from the light, and we give the light back a brain because then every light we give a little piece of our processor that's inside the sensor to the light to control the light and optimize the lighting function as well as energy. And we typically save about two-thirds, 67% of the energy that is used before we install the sensor network. We reduce 67% of the lighting energy used in buildings very typically. And is that because you transfer, in addition to doing the sensors and all the benefits that provides, you also do an LED instead of incandescent lights? 
Well, it's really interesting. You get a kind of a double whammy typically in our typical installation is you'll get about two-thirds of the reduction of whatever, the energy of whatever lighting that you put in once you install our sensor. But most most of the time, we actually put in LEDs at the same time and you get even more savings because of the, the savings you get from the LED. So there's kind of the two factors. There's going from fluorescence to LEDs that gives you savings, and then there is the savings you get by putting in our sensors, which takes it even farther. Okay, and those sensors, we're going to tell you a little bit, I'm sure, about some of the things that those sensors enable. So couple things we're going to talk about today, which is you guys have a brand new deal. We're not going to go too much into that, but it'll be a good kind of example of what you guys can do. And then I want to talk about financing because you have a really cool model. So as a use case, let's talk about JLL, the facilities management company and your two new apps, because this will give people a really clear understanding of how you guys kind of get these savings and what you do for a customer. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it kind of tells the whole story. So the sensor network that we put in is really about gathering data on the entire building, the entire building environment. Uh, you know, obviously the lighting in it, but also the temperature, you know, and then everything going on inside the building, all the human activity, whether it's people, assets, equipment. So the sensors are being put in not just to control lighting. Lighting is just a very small subset of what the data that you get from these sensors can do. This, this information you're gathering on the building and the building environment can be used for all kinds of things. Yes, lighting is, is a great first application, and it's wonderful because we save so much energy that it essentially cost justifies the installation of the network. But once you get that sensor network in, you build other apps. And in fact, that's exactly what we are announcing today is the first public announcement of our our other applications, uh, AIR, which is our application which allows you to control your HVAC system using this data, and SPACE, which is a tool that enables people, typically real estate and real estate management people, to manage their space and figure out how well or how poorly it is utilized. Okay, so AIR is... Now, I've, I, there are other companies who do air management. There's like building robotics that is kind of lets people control their own air kind of temperature controls. Now, this is measuring temperature up at the lighting level. And it's basically saying, hey, you're cooling an area right now that people aren't in. And that's where the savings come in. There's a, a, there's a ton of different ways you can save uh, energy in HVAC systems, just like with uh, lighting. One of them is what you said. Hey, if there's no one around, don't you know cool or heat the heck out of the space because it's, you know, it's not worthwhile. It's empty. And let's talk about space. So you have, in addition to air, you have space. What is that dealing with? So this is really interesting. It gets us into a whole different realm. So the first couple of applications really are mostly about energy savings and lighting and HVAC. And what space is about is giving real estate people and space planners, as they're described, the ability to see real time, all the time, exactly how their facility is being used. How many people are in every single space, every single minute of the day? Now, it seems just like a simple thing. You know, it's like, wow, you know, it like, seems like simple data. But no such data exists today. When you talk to those people about the data they use, they actually use about two things today. Number one, badge data. You know, did, did the person come to work or not? But you have no idea where they are. Then the second thing they do is they do studies where people walk around, literally either with notepads or the big innovation is with an iPad, and they go into each room and area and count the number of people at a certain time of day. They keep walking, count again, maybe they pass through the building a few times in a day. 
That's the data they use. A one-time event of someone walking around and counting people, which is a crazy inaccurate system. So you can imagine for people trying to do planning, to have the actual real-time data all the time every single day is a gigantic leap in the information they can use for planning their space or their real estate. Oh, sure. And once you have this and you start looking at this, you can take it a step further and, well, you can kind of put these space planners possibly out of a job by 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 starting to recommend things to space planners or people like, oh, for a white-collar consulting firm in this type of office setup, this is the amount of space you need. Yes, but you know, the interesting thing is all the space planners absolutely love this capability. And I, you know, and they're passionate about it. When they see this, we've had, we've been in beta for almost a year with a lot of different customers. And when they see, you know, when they they see them using this product and playing with it, they're totally passionate. And And I've asked several of them, why are you so energized about this? What is it that makes you so excited? And they said, listen, if you've been a space planning professional your whole life, you get an instinct for things. You have a feeling about what's used, well used, not well used, what the needs are. And he said, and so we have an idea. He said, now, by the way, your product is great because it gives you way more data. You know, so it's a whole other level of information. But at the top macro level, we actually have a decent idea about things that are grossly un- un- underutilized, for instance. So, but then we go into meetings and we talk to, you know, someone and say, hey, look, you know, this is, we're, we're wasting half the space in this building. We should put these two different floors or buildings together and save a whole bunch of uh, real estate rental or whatever. And uh, he said the typical thing happens is you get in that meeting and it's all politics. Is that some corporate vice president or the head of some group or general manager says, oh, that's a bunch of baloney. You know, my guys, you know, we have just barely enough space. We can't cut down. You don't want to ruin people's productivity. And you're on to the next meeting. Nothing happens. And so he said, the problem in this business is it's never been data driven. And to have the data to show people and make it data driven and fact driven is a true revolution. It's what we've been waiting for our whole lives. Okay. And that makes sense. And a lot of things... I think being data-driven is going to change a lot of um, discussions and we'll have to see how it really affects the people who are working there. Maybe it won't. Um, Well, you you know, there's interesting things that you find about this is is that there's lots of misconceptions. You know, one of the things you find, and we actually are coming out next year with a product around conference rooms and conference room management, very contested real estate in corporate America. Oh, indeed. (laughs) <laughs> and everybody says, almost everybody says, we don't have enough. I mean, that's the typical, we don't have enough conference space. But the truth is, when you look at the actual data, that's usually not true. The conference rooms actually aren't that well utilized. And you can't, then you dig into, into that and say, well, what is really going on? And the problem is that in order to manage conference rooms, people set up booking systems. And then what people do in order to make sure they have a room is they overbook. And of course, that creates more overbooking. And so the conference rooms look like they're utilized if you look at the bookings or that they might be, you know, we don't have enough conference rooms. But when you actually look at how they're used, they may not be used 25 or 30% of the time. So you have to have a tool that gives the feedback that says, hey, there's no one there. The thing opens up, let someone else use that at a certain time. So that's an example of what you can do when you actually have the data. But I'll tell you, overall, looking at, you know, I've seen hundreds of thousands of square feet of space now that we've looked at, and 
I've never seen a floor or a space that didn't have at least 20% opportunity for improvement in efficiency in those areas where you just had a ton of wasted space. And even places where people at the company said, I thought this was in pretty good shape, but when I see the data, I realize it's just not true. Huh. Well, we'll, we'll have to see. I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, having common areas or even just having kind of a vacant area where you can, like, like momentarily go to rest in the value there. I, I have no idea. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, cause well, I'll make a, you know, your point is really interesting because there's another group, I think, maybe a, a different approach to this product. There are people who are trying to reinvent the workspace, just as you've described, Stacey, the, you know, where you have, instead of having your cube or your office in a strict area that you're supposed to be working in, uh, mix it up a bit. Have more common areas for working, more open areas and public areas for uh, maybe a little bit more relaxed environment uh, or places where you can collaborate better, et cetera. And the interesting thing is that the people that are trying to build those kinds of workspaces love this data, too. Because it tells them, it gives them feedback, is it really working? Right. Is the culture change we're trying to affect actually doing anything? Exactly. And I won't name the name of the company, but we had a recent experience where one of the people had just implemented one of these new workspaces in the building came running into the meetings and this meeting said, I heard you have this data on the building and can I see it? So showed him the data. And he looks at it, and literally in 60 seconds, he went, it's not working. He said, it's not working. I can tell looking at the flow and the traffic patterns and what's happening here, this is not what we intended. And the question is, is it because we didn't educate people? We didn't tell them you know, how it was to be utilized or what the opportunities were, or is it just designed poorly? And so he got real-time data for the first time that instead of anecdotal or subjective, he, he could look at it and instantly see it wasn't what they had planned. Wow. Bummer for him. And what a cool opportunity to be like, hey, now we can try. And this is this is kind of the cool thing about the Internet of Things, and it, it works for everything, is when you have real-time data, you can implement changes and see if they're working like instantly. And you don't have to wait and, you know, for weeks or months, you can actually make small changes and iterate very quickly in things as large as, you know, changing your company's culture, which I think is really, really powerful. Um, so. Exactly. I think it strikes, it's why people, I think, intuitively think the Internet of Things is a big deal, and it is. We just have to find those applications and places where it is that big deal, because just what you described is what people found when people went to internet you know, level of marketing and websites, you could change how you approached the customers and your value pop proposition. You could change it on, an, on the hourly basis, the daily basis. You could do tons of experiments. And I think the same thing is possible with the Internet of Things to do more real-time experimentation that's truly data-based with quick turnaround. Right. It's A-B testing in the real world. So follow that exactly. guy and be like, okay, guy change something this week, and he'd make a great case study for you later on. Okay, so let's talk about you guys, and you, you did something very cool, probably, I'm, I'm guessing it was about two years ago now, when you came into the company, because your product is not cheap, and you had a really tough time selling it to companies, not because they didn't see the value in what you were doing, but because it it's expensive to retrofit your buildings. And as you put it, facilities management 
that is not a budget line item that gets a lot of love. <laughs> I think you put it a little bit more, uh, a little differently, but we won't do that because this is a kid-friendly well show. Stated. <laughs> so, so no one loves facilities management. So you guys built a really cool product. And I say it's really cool because I'm a finance geek, but I'd love for you to talk about what you guys did and, and sure. why you did it. No, you hit it on the head. I got, when I got to the company, you, you see this, you put in the sensor network, it saves, you know, 67% of the lighting energy, it pays for itself. And so then I was going, well, why isn't it just flying off the shelves? Why, you know, when, and what was the first clue is that I asked uh, our salespeople, I said, well, tell me how many of our customers have one building done, two buildings done, dot, 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 you know, however many. And it showed right there the problem. There were a hundred companies, which for a young company was a lot of companies, a hundred companies with one building. There was one company with a hundred buildings and there were, there were 19 between two and eight. And so clearly we weren't moving from one to two to three buildings quickly. And I said, well, why not? Is there a product problem? Do people not like it? Is there, you know, is there some issue? Not at all the issue. And it was just what you said. It was the capital obstacle is that every single building had to be cost justified. And as you said, a, you know, it's a, it's a construction project and each construction project is a significant amount of money. You can think about it as being like a couple of dollars a square foot to do this kind of retrofit. And the capital equipment approval or priority inside companies for facilities is pretty much at the bottom of the barrel. They don't get a lot of love. I think that's a great description. And so how do you solve that problem? Well, there was the one company, which was AT&T, by the way, that had 100 buildings. And that's where the problem had been solved, or at least the seeds of the problem had been solved. There, we did something that we now call the GEO uh, model for financing, or it's really a business model. And the, the person at AT&T went through exactly this experience, saw the technology, thought it was wonderful, went to go get it done, and realized in the process, oh my God, I will be retired by the time I get 20 buildings done. It's just going to be such an arduous, crazy process to get approval building by building. And the issue is the capital approval. We've got to get over that hurdle. And so that person at AT&T, guy named John Shinter, and a couple of people at Enlighted invented this geo model. And the geo model in its ultimate, the simplest way maybe to describe it, it's like Solar City for companies. You know, when Solar City, you know, when they come to your house or any of its brethren, when Solar City comes to your house, you know, you don't have to cough up a single penny. You don't take on debt or a loan and you don't have to put out any money. They come there, they design, they install the solar panel system, and all you have to do is have a lower utility bill after the, after the system is installed. And that's what our geo model is for corporations around the energy savings and lighting. So we come into the company, we say, hey, look, we're going to do all of that. We're going to design it, we're going to install it, we're going to finance it. You have to put up a cent. It doesn't impinge your balance sheet one iota. And you start getting the energy savings right away. We share at the beginning, they get part of the energy savings. Of course, the other part is used to pay off the entire price of the of the design, installation, and maintenance of this uh, sensor network. And at the end of the term of the contract, which is anywhere between three and the longest we've ever done is 10 years, the customer gets all the savings. And so this is a capital-free way to have people get all the sensor networks installed and have their entire portfolio of real estate become smart buildings through these sensor networks, paid for by the energy savings, financed through our vehicle. You know, we go arrange for the financing just like Solar City and make it happen. And how many other customers have you added since then doing this? 
So we have, uh, starting at the end of uh, last year, so at the end of 2014, we've changed the focus of the company entirely to focus our direct sales on just this geo-selling, portfolio selling, because you're really going into a company and saying, I want to do all your buildings. If you're not interested in all your buildings, then you know, it's not the right match with what we're doing. And we had AT&T at the end of last year. We've added so far this year six new geo customers who've gone for the portfolio-wide approach. And interestingly enough, and this is how it ties to our discussion today about air and space, is that when you go in and you talk, first of all, those decisions have to be made at a C-level. It's really the CFO, the CEO, the COO, maybe a chief administrative officer, potentially sometimes a general manager. It's someone at that level who's looking across the entire company, the entire real estate portfolio. And that person typically, what gets them excited is one of the applications. You know, so most recently I was with the CFO of a, a Fortune 20 company, one of the you know, largest companies in America. And the CFO there, he instantly got the whole space application. And he, they have 35 million square feet of space in their uh, real estate portfolio. And he says, he said, frankly, it's a mess. We, it's an untended garden. We just don't have a handle on it. It's been very much partitioned, done building by building, group by group, area by area. And we've got to get our arms around that. And we need the data. I want that data on every single building so I have an ability to manage everything. I want all my buildings smart. And the beauty is there's no way I would fork out, in his case, it was, you know, $70 million in order to do the smart building upgrades, you know, to make that happen. But he goes, with your geo, I don't have to put out any money. The energy savings pays for it, and I get my smart buildings, and I get that space application so that I can actually manage my real estate with data for the first time. Well, Joe, you have given me lots of food for thought about many things. I'm like financing models, occupation, data-driven real estate, and of course, energy savings. So I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Hey, look, it's been fantastic. We appreciate the opportunity. You know, you have a passion about this Internet of Things. I'm telling you, it's well-placed passion. It's going to be an explosive market over the next few years. I am super excited. All right. Well, thank you. And for the audience, please stay. Well, actually, don't stay tuned this week. But next week, please join us. And thank you for listening. 